Big Fluff. For those of you who are new to the Indianapolis, I am your captain. Without me, you are worthless. You are my crew. And without you, I am worthless. Our success, our very survival, is contingent upon our functioning together as one cohesive unit. We have the complete confidence and trust of the Commander-in-Chief, as well we should. Understood? Yes, sir! Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver lining. That's an excellent summary of what we do. Thank you. That was an excellent compliment on my summary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got a doozy for you, as per usual. Um, This starts our month uh, in tribute to the inimitable one and only Nicolas Cage, uh, who you heard in the opening. As Abed from Community would say, Nicholas freaking Cage. Cage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're gonna be watching some Nick Cage movies over the next uh, over the course of this month. And uh, because while he is probably one of the most celebrated actors in Hollywood in a lot of ways, um, he's also simultaneously one of the most maligned. And so some of his very expansive filmography, I feel, is perfect fodder for this podcast. I think right at the top, we should put our cards on the table and share how we feel about Nicolas Cage. Just to, to because I feel like everybody has different opinions. Maybe this will help the audience set the tone for the next month. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think we share a similar opinion, um, possibly because you've convinced me. But I think it is very important expressing that opinion and discussing this movie too and that we'll save that for later so i'll let you explain your thoughts on one nick cage i think that nick cage gives the performance that is asked of him in every movie that he's in so he looks at a script like people think that he does bad acting because he does a lot of bad movies and don't get me wrong he does a lot of bad movies but i do think i don't think his acting has ever been off i think he looks at the script he looks at the project and tries to match what the page is telling him to do so he always gives the performance required of him and sometimes it's a bad performance (laughs) (laughs) um i I would tweak that a little bit to say that i think he's making these decisions independently of anyone oh 100 percent. yeah don't get me wrong i don't think he's talking to anyone about it like i don't think he's asking the director what he wants oh no um i think he's reading the script deciding the movie he's in and then giving the exact necessary performance for that movie. Yeah. And whether it's a great drama like Leaving Las Vegas or Bad Lieutenant or, you know, kind of a quirky comedy like uh, Raising Arizona or even Adaptation or any of the other movies that he's done, um, you get the Nick Cage that that movie deserves. Yeah, and I the thing, like, so there are actors that I feel like you can kind of chart at some point the quality of their work stops dropping off. It starts dropping off. And I feel like people try to say that about Nicolas Cage. But then as soon as you think that, yeah, like he started doing bad movies, but he still adaptation is in there. Or more recently, 
you know, he does a lot of movies like this one that we're going to talk about today, but he also did Into the Spider-Verse, which he's brilliant in. Like, Nicolas Cage is fully capable of giving a great performance in a great movie today if it's offered to him. Um, yeah, another example where the movie is sort of, I think, more hinged on his performance was Mandy, where he got a lot of acclaim, yeah. doing a really great job, and ki- kind of like a B-ish movie t- type movie, but... Um, but yeah, he's definitely capable of delivering the goods when it's asked of him. Now, all of that being said, and we have some stuff I'm very excited about going forward this month. But I will say, I'll go on the record. So today we were watching uh, USS Indianapolis colon Men of Courage. Men of Courage, which I will just go on record right at the top as saying wastes Nicolas Cage. A hundred percent. I would even argue that this movie is almost the exception to our Nicolas Cage rule that we've established, because um, I think he's acting in a better movie than this movie actually is. Yeah, he is giving a subtle, nuanced performance in a movie that does not call for it. But I, I mean, I don't think he's bad by any means. He's just almost a forgettable part of a movie that he stars in, which is a weird position for Nicolas Cage to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to get too, too far into it, but like the big critique for this movie, um, and we should, you know, get into talking about what the movie was, is that it, it is wildly uneven. Oh yeah. 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 So, but yeah, that is a good point to start things off as, as we do. We need to give like a little, if you haven't seen the movie, a little, you know, uh, recap of the plot. And I thought, you know, normally either you do it or I do it, but I thought maybe we could have a guest this week uh, recap this plot, which is based on a true story. Um, So here you go. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, famous uh, real-life survivor of the USS Indianapolis, Quint from, yes. from Jaws. So glad that uh, he was able to do it because he died in Jaws, that he was able to come here and give us that synopsis. Yeah, his ghost. His ghost showed up <laughs> to, to, Quint's to, ghost to succinctly recap the story. That, so... Yeah, let's let's get into this first because this is maybe the in the history of our show, which is obviously the show hasn't existed for a long time. But if you look at thematically things that we've addressed, there is a weird connection here that I think we just need to address, which is this film, USS Indianapolis, was directed by the one and only Mario Van Peebles, uh, star of. Jaws the Revenge, which we reviewed in a uh, episode Previous last episode. month, and 
he is directing a film that is telling the story that is the backstory for a character in the original Jaws original that Jaws. is a real life thing that did involve people being attacked by sharks. Yeah, it's. I love that this is a thing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I found myself wondering. I was like, does did Mario Van Peebles like? Did he do research for Jaws: The Revenge, and then like in looking, like, like was this filed away somewhere in his brain that he was like, someday I want to tell that story of the USS Indianapolis, or is it a weird coincidence? Does he just love shark projects and he's on board for anything involving sharks? Yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, this this particular story of the USS Indianapolis sinking, there has to be a great movie to be made from it. Yeah. Like, there I, has to be. I, it was interesting because I actually, and I, I'm paraphrasing it because I don't have it in front of me, but I, I saw the, the Roger Ebert's site reviewed this movie and they kind of said that they were like this is a very famous incident like it seems like something that would be a great story for a movie but then they, their point was but then if you think about it it's kind of obvious why there hasn't been one before this which is that like it's a really interesting story but most of the story hinges on people stuck in the water like it's hard to actually like it's a very compelling story to hear cinematically it's a very difficult movie to make and to mm -hmm. have a story arc and to not make it horribly depressing because it's a it's a story that's essentially about two-thirds of a real life crew being killed in an attack and then i guess slight spoiler alert but i don't know this is history you can't spoil history um that then the captain that nicholas cage is playing was then court-martialed for like basically be used as like the scapegoat, you know, the, the scapegoat guy. the yeah the fall guy for this and you know it like it wasn't until bill clinton that the guy's name was cleared and it was posthumously yeah well even even more tragically to that is that um he would continually for the next 20 years or so after the after the court martial and the incident uh receive harassing phone calls from family of of uh people that didn't survive um, and so to the point that compounded with losing his wife to cancer, he committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like his life after this incident, understandably, was uh, very dark. And, and I, I think this is not a good movie for a number of reasons that no. we will get into. But I, I think that it it's attempt to kind of humanize him and to to show the way that he it was completely unfair that he was held accountable because essentially and, and just to fully so the story is that they were a ship that was on a secret mission to deliver part of uh the bombs that america dropped on japan uh they had to transport it by ship and the mission was so secretive that when they were then after they dropped it off attacked and uh the people ended up capsized in the water that no one knew that they were there because there the communication broke down on the secret mission so no one was like checking in on them for four days to see if they were okay or not right and they didn't have the standard like destroyer escort to help take out submarines yeah um you know a lot it was they were sort of essentially sailing blind and yeah so all of that being said 
Um, I will say that I think even though he was largely wasted in this, I think Nicolas Cage was a really good choice to play uh, McVeigh, the the commander of the ship. Yeah, and I think the one thing, if there's anything that that is done well, is like having Nicolas Cage in that role and even with him kind of being underserved in the way it's written, he immediately gives it gravitas and you're immediately like, this guy is the captain. Like you buy into him being in control of the ship in a very limited amount of scenes because, and we could probably talk about this. The movie is much more interested in things that are not very worth exploring than it. Like it's very scattered in its attempt to tell some kind of ensemble story. And it, gives a lot of energy that I personally would have not put into a dumb love triangle story. That's totally fictitious. That's totally fictitious. It's 100% fiction. And that like feels completely fake. Like it doesn't even, it feels like something from a cheesy melodrama. I mean, it's not dissimilar from like the story in Pearl Harbor or like any of these movies that like, you know, seek to kind of come up with, some kind of fictional account. It's very two guys that are on this ship together are in love with the same girl and both want to propose to her. That's the storyline. Yeah. And it, it does. And like another sort of underlying subplot is sort of like the racial strife that existed in the Navy and in America and everything. But that's like, it's only kind of glanced at, and yeah it's very surface like it's it's sort of like they know that it's something that existed but the the script is not terribly interested in exploring it in depth and i think that like i don't know i think the idea of a ship the ship on this mission being sunk by a submarine and those and the survivors trying to avoid sharks for five days like, I think that's enough. I mean, you need to humanize yeah. some of the characters and have people to root for and stuff. But, like, I think that's enough of a story to do in one movie. Yeah. And this movie is all over the place. And you want it because, um, obviously, the survivors in the, in the real story, there were several sort of, like, groupings of them. So you want to have people that you can check in with each group, and I can, I can get some of that. But, um, but yeah, it's this movie is just wildly uneven. Uh and that's only, I think, sort of the tip of the flaws of this movie, because it's, it's a bad movie. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the best way to approach all the flaws in this movie, but since we mentioned uh, the two guys in the love triangle, I also want to mention that it seems like a lot of the research for this movie might have been done on Wikipedia <laughs> in terms of, like, historically not so great, including the fact that those two guys in an early scene seem to coin the phrase often attributed to Wayne Gretzky in the 1980s, uh, which is you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like, they're saying yeah. that in 1945 when, it, like... Uh, there was also uh, the phrase lean, mean fighting machine, which is a bit sketchier in terms of like the origin of that. But like it isn't why like that seems to be more of like it became prominent in the 1970s. So there's a lot of yeah. like anachronistic anachronisms. Yeah. yeah like just they wrote a script where they didn't really seem to understand how people talked at the time or what exp- there's also one of them invents swing dancing, I think like, or like, or, or brings it like brings it to, cause he's, they're explaining that he learned it in New York and he's bringing it back to the ladies and in the house, but everyone is an expert at it. It's immediately great at it. Like doing like yeah. twirls and flips and 
like that little the classic swing dancing like two person cartwheel move that they always do. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, which also I mean that's another thing too that we can get into is like tonally this movie is all over the place because all over the place because their scenes early on are almost shot like they're West Side Story or something like there's. You know, they're getting in scraps at clubs and they're doing these big dance numbers, but they're even shot in a way that feels not modern. Like it feels very old Hollywood, like big production number. Even when Nicolas Cage is delivering his, the speech that we played at the top, the way that's shot where everyone is kind of standing on the ship looking at him has this like weird, like older Hollywood feel to it. Like it feels like a movie from the 1960s. Like, yeah, it, it like it was shot on, I think it's the USS Alabama. Is yeah. that right? Um, it, that sounds right. But it, yeah. it, it felt like it was shot on a Bing Crosby soundstage. Yes. Most of the movie, it looked like, and I'm sure when they were in the water, that was a soundstage, but it, it looks like a movie predominantly shot on a soundstage for sure. Um, and, Plenty of great movies have been shot on sound stages and oh, continue yeah. to get shot on sound. So that's not a, a, a knock. But uh, the other thing is, goddamn, are the special effects uneven? Yeah, I mean, some of the special effects look like someone got a someone who has never touched a computer got a trial version <laughs> of some software. There's an early shot that, like, what baffled me about it was not how bad it was. But there's an overhead shot of the ship early on, and it. The water's not moving. Like, clearly the water is CGI. The ship is CGI. There's no wake when the ship is moving. The water isn't really moving right. The ship looks like it's just being... It doesn't look like it's moving. It looks like it's being moved, if that makes sense. But it's such a bad shot that they show for probably 10 seconds. And I was like, this isn't good. I would have cut this out of the movie completely. But even if you used it for a second, why did you keep it in this long? Like, it looks so bad um there's another moment and it it could have been like one of the emotional climaxes of the movie but when the boat's chaplain uh is sort of blessing the corpses of the soldiers that are sort of he's like swimming up to each course each uh dead body saying a little prayer and everything and then the fakest looking shark fin in the history of fake looking shark (laughs) fins goes behind his head yeah. Like it it literally looks like a clip art thing was like pulled like a pop-up yes. book behind his head. Yeah. And the, like there's no way like with where he was in relation to where like I think it was like either a life preserver or one of the soldiers was like there wasn't enough space for a shark with a fin that size to fit between them. Yeah. Like, I went back and watched this scene this little <laughs> moment like three times to try to wrap my head around it. And it is like yeah, and I get like it did this movie didn't have a huge budget, um, which is fine. Um, and so they did a lot of the shark footage is like stock footage from nature films, which, which is, I think is usable and I think is fine. I was going to say the shark in general is probably the best looking thing in the movie. It is funny because at the end, they talk to one of the real survivors and he talks about the number of sharks and says there were like hundreds of sharks below them. And you definitely do not get that impression watching the movie. It kind of budgetary reasons why makes it feel like it's one shark that's just tormenting all of them when obviously it was a lot more. But like the one shark stock footage that they're using actually is one of the probably the best effect in the movie when it, that shark is just swimming underwater. There is a ridiculous shot that should not be there, but the shark looks good of 
Nicolas Cage, when he first falls into the water, the shark swims an inch past his head as he's like swimming. Yeah, that which seems is like, bananas too. Yeah, which feels like, I mean, it looks good just isolated, but also feels like that is a very different movie that that scene belongs in and not this one that is, you know, based on historical events. Yeah, like it, a lot of the shark stuff almost seemed like deep blue sea ish Mm -hmm. in a way um or like some other like not quite as ridiculous as sharknado no not quite not quite as grounded as as like jaws or uh i will say just to tie it all together it's possibly a better jaws film than jaws the revenge oh yeah it might be that's (laughs) that um one thing that was also kind of hilarious is the score when they're in the water with the sharks is very reminiscent It, it is definitely like winking at the jaws theme yeah again um, i i have so many questions from mario van peebles about this movie uh we'll get him on the show next week mm-hmm. and we'll have him have him explain himself <laughs> um answer us mario tell us uh but yeah i mean but they're like like there's one scene that's straight out of like deep blue sea or even sharknado where one of the soldiers because i mean obviously these these guys were, you know, stranded in too small of life rafts. And and some um, of them are literally just like floating in the water. They don't even have like right. they're just kind of holding on to scraps, you know, like whatever they can. But they don't even like, yeah, some of them are in life rafts. Others are just kind of floating. floating. Um, and like one guy is is suffering from exposure and heat exhaustion and, and goes to throw up and when he goes over the edge of the boat, the shark jumps out of the water and bites his head off. Yeah, which is utterly ridiculous. Like, and Especially because I feel like a lot of the other shark attacks felt real for the most part. But yeah. there's a couple absurd ones like that. I did see, too. It's At the end of the movie, of course, they dedicate the film to the survivors of the USS Indianapolis. But I was reading some stuff that, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, the survivors were not super thrilled not about happy. this movie <laughs> like because there were there was like errors like the wrong side of the ship got hit yeah well that's kind of what i was touching on earlier it doesn't seem like they did a lot of research like it's very shoddy like there definitely was no one in charge of historical accuracies like there was not a guy on set making there wasn't sure a fact checker yeah. yeah i mean if someone had been on an iphone at some point in a scene it wouldn't have felt that out of place with the level of detail that they seem the- to include <laughs> The famous uh, Game of Thrones Starbucks cup would have seemed very appropriate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it just, you know, a a lot of like the way people talked really wasn't. Although it's really funny because Thomas Jane (laughs) seems to be the only one who thought he was in a 1940s movie and is playing like a 1940s movie character. Uh, Yeah. While like chomping a cigar and, you know, very much being like a fly. (laughs) But like everybody else is speaking as if the movie was shot in the 2010s, which it was. Right. Um, Another, I think. And this could be starting to approach the not silver linings, but something is is Tom Sizemore. (laughs) I feel like you can't talk about this movie without talking about our good buddy Tom Sizemore. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't know what to say about Tom. Sizemore I don't know what in this to say movie. either, but you, you need to mention that he's in this movie, and I don't think he had a script. I hope he didn't have a script. I think they the that Mario Van Peebles just said, "Hey, Tom Sizemore, I want you to Tom Sizemore 
for the next eight minutes and we're just going to put a camera on you. Whatever happens, like he pu- like he punches one of the new recruits in the stomach for no reason. Yeah. The, He's a force in this movie for sure. I don't know if it's good or bad, but in a movie that I will often say I struggled, it struggled to hold my attention. I was riveted every second that Tom Sizemore was doing anything. So I will give him that. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, to sort of pull back the curtain uh, on the production of this show, when we were talking about movies to do for this month, uh, Joel noticed that there was a movie about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis starring Nick Cage and Tom Sizemore. And I'm like, say no more. I'm Which, in. Hilariously, at that point, we didn't even piece together that Mario Van Peebles directed it. But had I no, known not, not, that, like... That would have pushed it over the edge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, um, it, and... Yeah, so on that promise, it delivers. I mean, Sizemore, yeah, he's... He's Sizemore as, as as well as anybody can Sizemore in this movie. I don't think he could have sized more if he tried. <laughs> no, he definitely could not have sized any more than he did. <laughs> so um, that's, I mean, are we at the silver linings? I, I'm fine to be... I'm fine. Let's let's pivot to the silver linings. Um, Actually, I, I, I want to I wanna crap on the movie just a little <laughs> bit more. Okay. Uh, just because, just in the unevenness of the movie, is that there are, are essentially two dramas being portrayed in this story. Like, not the movie necessarily, but the story. There's uh, the actual sinking and the sharks and everything. And then there's the aftermath and the trial. And to do that justice, you'd either have to make two movies or a four hour movie, probably. Yeah, which that brings up an interesting question because I did plan on uh, getting, and I want to get into this more when we're officially in the silver linings portion of the show. But I would just say now that for me, if I was picking, I thought for budgetary reasons, for my interest reasons, for like what I thought, what I think that everyone involved could have made really well and would have been good. I would have focused on that second half more. I, I honestly, a movie Mm -hmm. where they were in the water for 20 minutes and then everything after that was the aftermath trial. I would have liked that movie better. Or even because this is a this is a just over two hour movie. Yeah. If you do like eight minutes until they sink, forty minutes of survival, and yeah, then, and then that last hour being the aftermath. But yeah, whatever the actual breakdown is, way more time on the aftermath because one, Mm -hmm. you don't have the special effects for it. Two, the storylines that you invented to try to make the compelling weren't really good. I think you you really focus on uh, Nicolas Cage. You really uh, focus on um, and I I definitely am going to talk about him more when we get to the silver lining. But um, the uh, Japanese character uh, Hashimoto. Yeah. Like focus more on him. I that's think, a fascinating story. When we'll get to that, but yes, which that's you know obviously yeah, like that's the part that I think you know as we approach the silver lining. But I just also like you wouldn't have had to do so much of the special effects. Like you could have used your stock shark footage. You could have shot around it. Uh, if you limited all of that, you really wouldn't have had to have all the bad CGI. It would have been a lot more cost effective to film a bunch of courtroom scenes, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that to me, I mean, the, the funny part is that all the effort that went into making, which 
don't get me wrong. I bet it was very difficult to, it's hard to film in the water. Uh, you, you know, the special effects, you don't really have a lot of control of, especially if you don't have a lot of money. I, uh, my, my heart goes out to Mario Van Peebles for trying to do the best that he could with what I'm sure the resources that he had. But the, I think the funny part is that the, the trial stuff was so much better and would have been so much cheaper to make. Yeah. Um, or even if like you, and like the whole movie is the trial and you just cut back flashbacks to in yeah. the water. No, that would have worked great too. I think like, you know, like when a witness comes up, you show his experience in the water Yeah, and you come back and show his testimony and you just kind of bounce back and are like, there, there, as, as we said at the top, there's a, there's a great movie about this story. Mm-hmm. This isn't it. Yeah. But no, I, so, okay. So we cover that. Are pivot. we, let's pivot because, let's pivot. uh, well, since we're there too. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, that to the, the idea. So just, I don't think the movie always did a great job of, uh, presenting the two of them, uh, McVeigh and Hashimoto, but like, right. Their dynamic is, to me, what is possibly the most interesting thing about this whole story. The fact that... So, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, the quick recap is... So, this is the guy who was uh, in charge of the Japanese ship that... that the Japanese submarine. The Sorry, the Japanese submarine that launches uh, torpedoes at them and sinks their ship. And he is called upon to testify at mcveigh's uh court-martial which is at the time like unprecedented <laughs> like right that i mean this is six months and not even this was like i think it happened in december of 45 so yeah uh, four months after the atomic bombs were dropped and the war ended um this japanese military commander is called in and he basically says that that mcveigh did everything he could and that we were too close there's not there's no way he could have avoided our torpedoes. Yeah, cuz so the the sort of the crux of the argument against McVeigh, which again they're trying to to make him the fall guy for this is the the US military is saying that he didn't really do evasive maneuvers, that he should have done a zigzag maneuver when they realized he should they were have been gonna, zigzagging to be harder to hit. To be harder and they to do hit. point that out earlier in the movie when he's like yeah. the fog's too thick, full speed ahead, let's get through yeah. the fog and so, but yeah, they say that he should have been zigzagging, but then, uh, yeah, they, they get this guy on the stand and he's, he says we were too close. He, he was like, he didn't zigzag, but even if he had, we were so close, we would have hit him regardless. Sunk it anyway. There was nothing he could do. And he, so he says that, and that's real. Like that is the real history of this event. And they, they depict that in the film. Uh, and there's also a mention in the epilogue, which again is the stuff that I would have wanted to explore more too, that after the war, he became a Shinto priest. Like he basically, mm-hmm. you know, gave up his military career and spent the latter part of his life as a priest. That's all fascinating. <laughs> like, yeah, that there's there's uh, the theme of this episode is that there is a great movie about this story, and this movie isn't it. Um, and that I think gets into. I think the best scene in the movie is when. Uh, McVeigh and Hashimoto come face to face after the trial. And um, they basically say, like, as a soldier, I did what I had to do. But as a man, I don't know if I can live with it. Yes. No. And that was great. Uh, And I'm sure completely invented. I don't think that really happened. I'm sure it didn't happen. But that's the type of thing that you put in a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Because it's because you can like, yeah, it's it's compelling and it's great. Yeah. Um, And 
Yeah, and that's like, and that's the like Nicolas Cage is hugely wasted in this, and he's also acting. I would have been curious to see Nicolas Cage give a Nicolas Cage performance based on the caliber of this movie instead of giving a performance like he's in a good movie. Yeah, well, that uh, that's what's interesting is what people think that Nicolas Cage does now. Had he done that, would this have been a better movie? And I don't have the answer, but it, it probably would have been a more watchable movie. <laughs> like, if Nicolas Cage had been able to size a little bit more, would he... Uh... Yeah. You know, what would have happened? Um, but yeah, it's... So yeah, so Nicolas Cage, I think he is a silver lining of this. Um, Mandela Van Peebles, I think, is a silver lining. Mario Van Peebles' son, who is one of the sort of uh, more focused on of the African-American soldiers on the boat. Um, yeah. And he's a writer, and I thought there was a really great scene where he's reading from his book while Tom Sizemore is basically dying of a severed leg. Um, that he's holding. That he's holding. <laughs> Throw that, throw that over. <laughs> um, but I, I, th- I thought like that scene was really great. Um, and I thought Mandela Van Peebles, I thought he did a good job. Um, you know, maybe there, maybe he'll show up in more things and, and become something that I think that'd be pretty great continuing the family legacy. Yeah. I also uh, hope he's really into movies about sharks and continues. So, oh man. Uh, Jaws the Revenge, the Revenge, starring Mandela Van Peebles. And Tom Sizemore. And Tom Sizemore. <laughs> As Hoagie's son. <laughs> As Hoagie's son, footlong. <laughs> Grinder. <laughs> oh my God. I would watch any movie where Tom Sizemore played a character named Grinder. <laughs> I'm I don't want to go through his IMDB right now, but I'm gonna Say there's a non-zero chance that that already exists. <laughs> well, I mean, if it does, future future Silver Linings playback episode for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, so uh, other Silver Linings that you noticed? Okay, I have a very specific one. And that is that there's a scene early on where we're establishing the stakes. And it is a room full of the most cartoonishly evil men uh, plotting to drop the bomb uh, to end the war. And they're discussing how they're going to do it. And this is where they come up with the plan to uh, send the ship because you can't fly the parts for the bomb on a plane. They have to be taken on a, on a ship. So they're (laughs) they're talking about that because so the guy says like, you can't fly him in there. So what are we going to do? And a, a man delivers this line in utter sincerity. And I laughed at my screen when he said it. We motorboat the son of a bitch. Just in case you missed it. They were like, how are we going to get this part here to drop the bomb? And the man said, we motorboat the son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That's A plus. That that is the movie in a nutshell. Yeah. Right there. That is everything you need to know about the movie is is, is summed up in that line. Um, Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) there's no words no um he he sized plenty more in that moment that's not tom sizemore obviously but (laughs) you know the normal way that a military commander would describe how to transport something that's how he would say it (laughs) because giant battleships are 
frequently referred to as motorboats because they are technically boats with motors. Well, and also what's important is that that is a line that in no way could be taken out of context to mean something else. It very clearly means to transport military equipment to a specific secret location. Why? What else could it mean? I, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't. It okay, just, yeah, no, yeah, okay, it just, just means sure that. I, I'm sure if you go on Urban Dictionary, the definition of motorboating is transport military equipment, you know, to a secret location. Obviously, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I because like I'm I'm reminded of that scene in Wedding Crashers when uh, Vince Vaughn calls Owen Wilson's character a motorboat and son of a gun because he had a career before he became a wedding crashing lawyer of transporting military supplies on ships. Also, what is wedding crashing if not metaphorically taking a secret ship to a wedding to, you know, to, to crash to, it, to crash it, you know, obviously. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, that's God. That's, that's the silver lining of this movie. They're, Everything else pales in comparison to that line. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, that. Uh, Tom Sizemore, we already said. Um, the the fact that, sincerely, there was a good movie to be made in here. That So I, I guess it's, you know, more of a, like, esoteric silver lining to say. But the fact that it caused me to do some research and dig a little bit deeper on uh, this moment in history and to learn more about Hashimoto, who's a very fascinating... Fascinating guy. Yeah. Um, I think a huge missed opportunity. I would have named one of the characters Quint. Why not, right? Like, just do it. Just yeah. go all in. Yeah, no, for sure. And have him survive. Like, one of the yeah. survivors should be named Quint. Yeah, I mean... Cause and not like as a main character, but just as like a wink. Yeah. Just like, I, a, like, not have him be one of the love triangle guys or one of the, you know, any number of things. Um, and maybe just, he's they're discussing what they're going to do now that their service is over and he's talking about his retirement plans to move to a quiet beach community. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, why not? Um, so, yeah, so we have Tom sizing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have I think the scene between Hashimoto and Nicolas Cage is a silver lining. I think that's yeah, a, a, it's a good, quick, like, you know, two person scene that's, I think, really wonderful. And a glimpse at a better movie that could have existed. There are so many glimpses of better movies. And there's, mm-hmm. um, I think Mario Van Peebles showed that he can direct a decent movie. He didn't hear. Yeah, I think but, stylistically, this movie was a little too scattered. Like, I don't think that it had like a singular vision. But obviously, yeah, he's he's a good director. And he has directed like, you know, a number of things. Badass and some other movies that are, yeah. are definitely good. Um. So yeah, so I mean, I think, I think we watched it, so you don't have to. Oh, for sure. Um, it is on Netflix, but you know, uh, if you're if you like are that Nicolas Cage completist, that's where you find it. Oh um, man, I'm I would love to. If you're a Nicolas Cage completist, please email us. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> please. If you are, because uh, I would say put us both in the camp of Nicolas Cage fans. Oh, for sure. Uh, but he has done a lot of movies that I have never seen. He is like, he's prolific enough that his filmography is its own Wikipedia page separate from his biography page. Well, and also, and this movie is a good example of, I mean, this is a film that I believe if I read it had a theatrical release in the Philippines, but, uh, here in, uh, the United States, it was uh direct to video release that, that again is now on it, Netflix, but yeah, I think, it, I think it may have 
played in like a theater here or something. Yeah, they tend to do, but I think it was like a simultaneous, like had a couple of theaters while also, you know, because you wanted to be an awards contention. So it has to run in a theater, but, uh, no special effects Oscar doesn't just get given away. But also too, like a lot of times, uh, weirdly, like contractually there, there are reasons that movies have to be released in theaters, but yeah, it was primarily released as a streaming film. Of which Nicolas Cage has made several. He's made so. a lot, yeah. There, there's a lot of movies with Nicolas Cage in them that I'm like, what? Including this, I didn't know about this movie until we did this episode, like until no, we were planning uh, out we Nicolas Cage movies. Deciding on Nick Cage month. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, well, I, I think we did it. I think we did it. So I think the only thing left, obviously, is uh, to hit our famous closing catchphrase. We motorboat the son of a bitch. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why... There's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.